Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Two Gay Mats Book Club. I mean, I love it because once every couple of years, we will have a book club episode because one of our favorite pop divas of your or today has decided it's time for a memoir and it's time that we read it. And yes. this week... And did we do any actual physical reading? Absolutely not. No. But we sure did some listening. We heard every word that was written in that book, mm. read by a little bit by Miss Britney Spears, the author, yeah. and mostly written by, or read by the incredible Academy Award nominee... Michelle, Michelle Williams, Williams who performed. Emmy Award winner, too. We can't forget the Emmy. And she's about to be a Grammy Award winner. Oh, my God. When you said it before, I was like, yeah, maybe you never know. But listening this, to this, this, this is performing, people. This is performance. Ah, oh, beautiful. A brilliant. Like, and it didn't even feel like I feel like the is Michelle Williams actually Southern. Do we know? Oh, I don't know. I, oh, I, I know when like, I got those lints of that Southern accent. I know. I mean, we'll talk about it, but I had chills. <laughs> I mean, she just knew what she was fucking doing. Oh, absolutely. And I felt every word. It's like she is an actress. It's Crazy. like she is. Crazy, guys. You see, and you say it's so easy. <laughs> It is, but, <laughs> but like when you when you do it well, it's affecting. It's yes, affecting. absolutely. Yeah. Does. All right, guys, stay tuned. I guess there might be an ad here. Sure, sure. <laughs> Listen to the ad. We'll talk about Britney's book. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Two Gay Mats podcast. It's Matt Steele. And it's Matt Palmer. And it, guys, it was a week full of literature. It was yes. a week full of emotion. But like yes. we also did other things as well. Yes. Kind of, sort of. I kind of didn't. Mostly everything <laughs> I did was on Thursday night when we had our live listening party for Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's version, which came out that evening. It was very fun. Up, I think there was 2.3 thousand viewers at the peak when we were going live, and I think as of this recording, over 50,000 people have watched the edited version of the video. So it's I'm so thank you, thank you, thank you so much if you listened to or joined the listening party or watched it. It means so much to us. And um, but. Truly, after making that edit and the like special edits for Patreon, and I put up a fucking TikTok of blank space today, I don't think I've done anything outside of that. Like, uh, Jackson's friend, who he used to live next to, Judy, came over on Friday night after I'd had maybe three hours of sleep. Okay. And we carved some pumpkins. I Mine is a ghost that's black, because you know what? Why do all the ghosts have to be white? So my ghost is black. I love that. <laughs> and um, you know what? Black people die as well and they become ghosts. They become ghosts. And what if they become white ghosts? No. No. Fuck that. I'm never going to be a fucking white ghost. Never. Sorry. Um, I will yes. be the whitest fucking ghost on <laughs> hey. the planet. I'm already a white ghost. But yeah, that's the thing. It won't be a big transition for you to like color wise. I will be clear. Like I will be a clear <laughs> ass ghost. But hey, you'll be haunting and doing great work. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I will haunt it. all of your asses. <laughs> I will be here making noise. I hope in a good way. 
Sure, sure, not okay. a bad way. All yeah, right. um, I'm trying to think of anything, but then mostly I stayed in this weekend, caught up on my TV shows, uh, and played Super Mario Wonder. I am playing with Jackson. We're kind of playing like a two player version of the game. It's very fun, and uh, now I'm here with Matt Steele. Matt Steele, how was your week? My week was very good as yes. well. You know, just like a little, did a little bit of work, a little bit of life things. It was very nice. Yeah, uh, I will say I was worried at the beginning mm. of the week, which is like, when am I going to have time to like listen to Britney Spears's m- memoir? Right, um, because I'm like, you know, I like to listen to things as I'm walking outside. Of course. Like I don't you know, like to like listen to stuff like around the house. Mm. Um, and so, but then my uh, manager was just like, hey, we have these new like VIP 20% off cards for like the neighbors uh, of the restaurant who wants to get paid hourly to uh, like walk around the houses and like distribute them into mailboxes and stuff. And I was, and first, you know, I love doing that you shit. Do. I could do it for hours, guys. But then I was also like, oh, this is the perfect time to get paid as I listen to Britney Spears's <laughs> book. <laughs> And so I basically did that. I walked for about like eight hours this week. Wow. My, my toes are still hurting. Um, I'm still hurting. I had to do that <laughs> for the Cathy's. Um, but yeah, so that's how I consumed Britney Spears' book. So I was literally like walking around Santa Monica on people's property yeah. sobbing. I mean, <laughs> like, I was a crying psychopath. Like as I'm like walking on people's property, if they were looking at me out their right. windows, they were probably just like, what is this? <laughs> I also had the same concern. I was like, okay, I'm going to be listening to this Britney audio book. And I know it's the same week as the Taylor's version. Am I, are we going to have enough? time I began that book at the beginning of my work day on you know Tuesday or whenever it came out by the end of the day I had like 30 minutes left finished it before we went to trivia and was sitting there depressed because like poor fucking I the thing is I was not expecting it to like have such an emotional impact on me like as it was like I knew like the story generally like what happened but just like hearing like those words that were so clearly like Britney's yes. words. I think like, she and her ghostwriter did a beautiful job. Did a job. fantastic job at really having it feel like it was truly coming from Britney. Like there were no yes. like embellishments or right. anything. It was so like succinctly put, so crystal clear. And I, I just felt, and the thing is like having lived through all these monumental moments of her life, right. You like the nostalgia is also in me as well. Of like, course. Oh, remember when she came out with the snake? Like, this is what happened that night. Actually, like, like remembering those specific moments like made me emotional because I was like, I remember that clear as day. Of course, and hearing it from her is just so wonderful. And of course, Michelle Williams's performance and as Brittany, as Brittany, and sometimes Justin. <laughs> <laughs> was just so it, it took a toll on me I know I was really feeling that shit I know like I my went through God. it absolutely okay I'm not sure where we want to start with this so feel free to jump in change course as needed but I just must say Brit- the thing is it's it's kind of like Obviously, I don't think her upbringing was as bad as Mariah's. But it's like you walking into this book, you know we're going through sad Justin times. We know we're going through tough Kevin times. We know we're going through conservatorship times. Mm -hmm. And you just would like to imagine that her upbringing was fine. Like, oh, no, maybe medium. She starts it off the first Chapter Awful. when she talks about her grandmother Jean. I can't. I that's when I was just like, oh no, tears are happening. Literally in the first two seconds. Because you know enough about her story to know where this is fucking going. Yes. And this, by the way, this is going to be very spoilerful. So if you have not listened to Brittany's uh, memoir, listen to it before we talk because we're about to get in and tell you some details that maybe you wouldn't want to know from us. You'd rather hear from Brittany slash Michelle Williams. So do that. So these are the spoilers. <laughs> So Brittany talks about how her grandma Jean was married to her paternal grandfather. And at some point, two things happened. One of which is his, uh, her grandfather 
sent her to an asylum, I think is what they were called at the time. Like, mm-hmm. basically, she he decided or someone in the world decided that she was not well mentally and she got sent to an asylum. She also lost a child. I don't know if it was a child that had been born. There wasn't a lot of detail that I remember, but then you find out very early on that the woman that she is named after who went to this asylum asylum and was given lithium that she did not want committed, like uh, died by suicide on her child's grave. And you're like, holy Shit. And it's like, how did we not know this? Like in the beginning, like it's just like, oh my God. Like it starts off with such like a huge monumental moment. And the thing is, like, you know, Brittany, of course, never met this woman. Right. Um, but just hearing that, it it really I was just like, oh no, I'm in for a really emotional ride. And it's like she's we know she's building towards something and she's telling us about how her grandfather was very hard on her dad Mm -hmm. and how she even in the year of our Lord, 2023, she's still trying to figure out a way to have some empathy for this man who has essentially ruined a large fucking chunk of her life. And she's like, but he wanted, you know, he was trying to be perfect for his father and like was pushed beyond his limit as well. And like really trying to see things from his perspective. Then you get to when Brittany's around and her situation with her parents and how his her dad was an alcoholic and would uh, come out from being out late and her mom would be up yelling at him and keeping all, you know, Brittany and her brother awake and Brittany would be sitting there more mad at her mom. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, why are you arguing with this man? That's not even conscious. And the yeah. fact that child, a child, Brittany Spears is having to think these kind of thoughts and how she was like scared. She was like, I had to take these drives with dad and it was really scary because like he was drunk and he would be talking to himself like in the car. Yeah. And it's just like so devastating. And something interesting that she, she talks about how um, her grandfather who seems to be like abusive to his uh, wife um, before she died. And also like very, very, very hard on his son, like extremely hard on his son. How she was just like, as the years went, like she was like, I didn't know him as that because as the years had gone on, he had like softened and he was so lovely to me and wonderful. And so I feel like that kind of, to me that felt like a little bit of glimmer of hope that like, not that maybe one day she could have, you know, more uh, like grace for her father. At this moment, it's a little hard, but but that she she is a woman capable of empathy, right? She um, absolutely is, and so and that she fully understands, you know, people yeah. and the the fallibilities of people, and um, and so you know, I I hope that you know one day in the future it will take some time. I'm sure, like there can be grace amongst the family. Oh, I don't. I, I mean, <laughs> I listen. I think listen, that's a beautiful. I'm thought. thinking optimistically, as is Brittany. <laughs> I think she and Jamie Lynn are probably going to at some point come to a place of healing and mm. be fine. I think that's probably it. Yeah, I think maybe her mom. Sure. I think Dad's off the table. Okay. I do. May, I mean, I don't mean to put a damper. You never know. We'll have to see. Apparently, she's putting out a second book next year. Yeah, I, um, that was news. Which was news that she announced on Instagram. Um, so then we t- she talks about how she initially auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club, but was a little too young and was told, you know, go to New York and get some credits there. And so that's when she started is uh, being an understudy in Ruthless, which starred Laura Bell Bundy, who got a shout out. <laughs> Laura Bell Bundy, shout out. We love. <laughs> yes. And a young Natalie Portman was yeah. the other understudy. So we had like, there were just things that like we already knew about Britney, but it was just sure. nice to see her. I mean, whenever I hear that, like Britney Spears is like, or was at one point friends with Laura Bell Bundy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, it's just a great story. It is nice. 
It yeah. is nice. Um, and so then she does the Mickey Mouse Club. It seems like she really loves performing and had a great time and like had her first kiss with Justin, even though she had a crush on a different guy mm-hmm. in the Mickey Mouse Club at the time. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that after the Mickey Mouse Club, she's like so many people, once the show got canceled, went straight to LA, went straight to New York, like really trying to get their careers off the ground. And even at that young age, I had the pull of like, I did want a normal life. Uh-huh. I wanted to perform and that's when I felt the most, like the least anxious and the most like free, but I also really, really longed for a normal life. Yeah. And what she was going to get was going to be nothing of the sort. Oh, yeah. And the thing I also loved hearing about was how she was like, after the Mickey Mouse Club, I played basketball. Basketball, and I, I loved playing basketball yeah. just because I loved the adrenaline of like you know shooting the hoops and like missing and messing up, but you still have to keep going forward. And right. and, it, and and then she like talked about it more um, later in the book. She's she's just like I I don't know how much I love like performing for other people. I just love the act of dancing. Or yes. I, I don't like care how well I do for like the fans in basketball. I just love the act of playing basketball. Right. Like I love actually doing the work, and yes. you can totally tell that in like the way you know Britney shows herself dancing yes. in her videos on Instagram it's just like she just loves to like dance dancing she doesn't care if she's perfect or anything like she loves to just dance around and express herself in her own living room right and I think that's just like so beautiful I do it's the reason to do art you know because you enjoy actively enjoy doing it and I feel like a lot of the book to me contextualized her Instagram posts and Mm -hmm. captions in ways that like just added to the story and made things more clear like when she talks about Jamie Lynn and these like specific moments and talks about her dad and that you know after that uh, tour that Vegas show got canceled how she got taken to this rehab facility and was like locked in there and like so she would give us little bursts of these experiences that like we couldn't contextualize the book does a beautiful job of being like this is essentially what I was talking about there Mm -hmm. and so when you get to those stories you're like oh that is what she's saying on the Instagram Um, which I know this isn't about her Instagram but like I feel like people point to her Instagram a lot as like proof that she's still not stable and like should be in a conservatorship as well and I'm like she also could just be a weird lady who's been very very traumatized yeah, and also like she did not grow up like experimenting with social media and like learning about social media the right. same way we did. We, you know, we grew up with learning about social media, right. so like we made mistakes on social media. Right. We had we had like time to like figure it out and make our own mistakes and everything. and like you know post weird random things on social totally. media. So and for years she couldn't control her social media. No. And, she, and she's also a hugely famous person. So like Lord knows if she would even control her social media, like even if she wasn't in a conservatorship. Totally. And so she's, she's like experimenting with social media now because she's like, Hey, this is actually fun. Right. It's fun to just like post yourself doing silly things. Right. And if that's what makes her happy. Then that's what makes her happy. Okay, so the, a big chunk of the book is about Justin. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was very clear to us walking into it. Like, obviously, a lot of the headlines going into it were Justin related because he's the other big celebrity in, that has been in her life in a really impactful way. And it seem, it's things that are interesting to me about their uh, relationship are A, it was essentially an open secret between the two of them that he had been cheating on her mm-hmm. kind of throughout the relationship. And she always was like, but I love him. So I'm going to stay. And I'm not asking these questions because I don't want to know the answer. And like, it's like, I feel like I'm sure not her proudest moment, not, but she's like, this is my first love. I am 20. He is someone I have known longer than I have been hugely famous. Cause at the time she's like, I was arguably the most famous person in the world. I would say the arguably is unnecessary. Like she was yes. in the year 2000, 1990, 2001 the most famous woman in the world and to have someone by her side that could even 
connect the dots and be like, oh, I understand this feeling. Like, and mm. that she was also very much in love with. Like, I see. And that she's, she knew for over a decade right. at this point. Like, she had known him for so long. So it's like he was very much a comfort to her. They right. grew up together, essentially. It made sense why she wouldn't want to talk about that thread. Because the whole theory of like, oh, she broke his heart. She cheated on him with Wade Robson. And then the relationship is over. And poor baby Justin is like, well, no, I did cheat on him one time. I told him about it. Yeah, we and, made out at like a party. Right. Yeah. And he forgave me and yeah. it like was actually totally fine. And then as he began working on his solo album, he began getting more and more distant. And as the songs were coming out, she's like, it just was clear to me that he knew how to play the game. Mm. And if he's going to be launching a solo career, which I have always said that he launched his career on the back of Britney fucking Spears. And she feels that way as well. So I feel vindicated in, in my dislike of that entire arc. Congratulations. Thank you. But the one thing I was wrong about, which, you know, doesn't happen often. I <laughs> yes. have been mad about that whole promo tour because he goes around and is just like winking and putting his like very tongue in cheek and be like when asked well Britney says that she's a virgin and that she thinks she should go to wait for marriage to have sex did you guys have a sexual relationship and uh, Justin all but says lol of course we did but she, and everyone's like that's her business to tell you shouldn't be able to tell that to her uh, like to tell that on her behalf and she's like I actually like that he did that I was blown I away by that moment when she was she was like there were many things I was mad at him about and I felt like he didn't stick up for me but honestly I was glad he spilled this secret because she's like I thought it was weird that my management kept hammering home my virginity well especially because when she says in the book because she talks about like her childhood like you know after the Mickey Mouse Club she went back home and was kind of just like a normal teenager for yes. a while yes. which is, were lovely chapters because you could tell how fondly she looks back at those moments she's like I was just running around with my friends like trying cigarettes and it's like you just tell she was having such a wonderful time I know um, and she's like and I dated uh, my brother's friend and I lost my virginity to right. him and I was and like wait what? I know what like everyone and their mother was just like oh Britney Spears lost her virginity to Justin Timberlake because that was the narrative that right. like the media was pushing and that Justin wasn't denying right and so and the, so the fact that she was very much just like, no, I'm happy that he like, right. It's essentially exposed that we were having sex. Cause I did not like the, the narrative that was being pushed that like I was trying to be a virgin. Right. And I, and she acknowledges that a lot of it was her camp doing that, yeah. but she's like, and honestly just like was, I was easier for me. Cause then I didn't have to answer this ridiculous question that she's like, I love when Oprah said to me, whatever I do with my body is my business. And mm-hmm. cause that's how I felt. And uh, it was just kind of nice to actually have Justin allude to this so strongly that it was kind of off the table. Yeah. And like I was she like, didn't have to worry about it. Anymore. That was a shock to me. Yeah. Um, I and then she was like, I was happy to be finally be seen as like in a woman, like right. a sexual being. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that we, we talked a bit back last week about the whole abortion conversation. And so she does get into that a little bit. There were some quotes that were floating around the internet about that, that were not true, but the incident did happen. I thought the, like the fact that like she didn't, get to go to a doctor and like it all had oh to happen oh my god the fact that there was no do- so it's devastating just devastating and traumatic the, the, they, she didn't go to a doctor essentially because like they didn't want the news getting out right. so it was essentially her, like her Justin and her assistant slash like best friend Felicia right like and she's like I think even to this day there are very like few things more agonizing than what I went through that night and it's mm-hmm. just like it make it's like so early on in her career and the fame has already gotten her to this point that's like truly lifelong trauma not the idea that like oh if she wanted an abortion she should just be able to have one but like she had to do this in house she wasn't sure about it Mm -hmm. it had to be a big secret and while she's paraded around and being told like oh well you're still a virgin right it's Mm -hmm. just like 
Leave this child. And the thing is, you forget how fucking how young. young she was. They were so, so young. They're like 20. And like if that like yeah. 19 to, it's just like these are children it's like when you see college kids walking around and you're like oh my god you're babies like yeah. I felt like an adult walking around at college and they're that age I know horrifying I know and, like, and to be like the most famous powerful woman in the world and you're 20 I know like that's such a such a daunting like heavy burden totally. to have on yourself totally and, and the, the fact that she like you know, you know, you can say like, oh, this happened and this happened. But like overall, I think she handled many parts of it better than I. Oh, could my have. God. Like, Absolutely. Like considering how young she was and the the way people were talking about her. They were talking about these. I mean, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, right. but like the way that people were like sexualizing this teenager. Um it, it really insane. was. It was a weird time in our culture. And she talked about like her VMA performances. Uh-huh. How um, she's like immediately after the um, the VMA performance where she like rips off the the tuxedo thing, yes. uh, and I'm wearing like a, a tan bodysuit and yeah. everything. And she performed her, her ass, ass off, off that night. It is an iconic, incredible performance. And we love and- all her performances, and I love that thing performance. I think that's her best VMA like, and, for me. And she's like, and the fact that after I just like killed it on stage, I was whisked backstage and I had to watch people react to that. And I had to watch people say that like my performance made me look bad and made me look like I was a bad influence right. and, and all this stuff just because I like, I like wore like an outfit that was the same color as my skin. And and I love the line where she's just like, what did they expect me to do? A Bob Dylan impression? <laughs> Like I'm Britney Spears. Right. This is the type this of music I do. Like, why is this considered bad? And I'd when also, like rock stars like are on there like talking about doing drugs and I having know. like sex with a bunch of women, and right. I can't even wear a costume. Right, a glittery bodysuit is really gonna turn your kids the wrong way. And she's also like, hey, I'm not raising your kids. Yeah, I am not their babysitter. I'm not their role model. I'm not their mom. That's on you. And I've seen that clip. I saw that clip at the time, and there were a couple of people that were like, that's her art. That's what she does, and she was really excited about that. But like. To put a camera in her face and watch people be like, she's a terrible influence, X, Y, Z. Like, what did you want this teen girl to say? Yeah, and to, to hear, like, how many people dislike you just because of that, especially when you are a child. <laughs> you are a child. Like, let's emphasize that. And I also forgot, because she says at the end of that chapter, I had, like, governor's wives saying they wanted to shoot me in oh the face. Oh, my God. I forgot that quote. I know. And I was like, someone did fucking say that. It's Truly wild what was happening in like early aughts popular culture in the U.S. The purity culture was out of control and she was seen as the villainess of it for so long. And I think that's also a big thing that happened uh, to her at that time with the Justin breakup was like she then became the villain. Like I didn't realize she would go to basketball games, she said, and get booed by the audience, which is crazy to me. How dare you boo like the entertainer of the time who is giving us Fucking I know, art. I who know. was who was changing the landscape of pop music and pop culture Hello. forever. Speaking of, I really appreciated that she's like Blackout was my best album. Oh my god! When Jennifer she talked about Blackout, and I was thrilled. she was so proud, and she's like, "What am I making a comeback from? I just made my best album months ago. Uh, exactly. Hot as ice. I walked in that studio and left in thirty minutes. I sounded so fucking good. I was singing so high. And guys, the song is brilliant. Brilliant. Like, and the fact that because the whole time when she was recording Blackout, everyone was like, "Oh, apparently, like she's like barely in the studio. She's like only in there for like thirty minutes at a time. She blah blah blah. She doesn't care. And in the book, she gets to explain like I was only there for like thirty minutes at a time." 
so the paparazzi didn't know where I right. was because if I was there for longer, they would know I was there and they would swarm the place. So I was there for short periods of time just to avoid the paparazzi. Exactly. Like, and the fact that she was recording that entire album when her husband at the time was just like out gallivant and she was like having these kids. I mean, we'll talk about Kevin I mean, at some point. Like, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin. Well, first, let's talk about her first husband because. Oh, Jason Alexander? Yeah. Okay, what about him? I love the fact that when, how oh. she ex- explained it, she, like, she didn't like dance around it. She was just like, um, yeah, we, um, we had a whole night where we were uh, just watching like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and what was the other movie? I don't remember. Oh, it was like some like romantic comedy. It's like, that was your double feature? Okay, that's crazy, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, and then we decided at some point to go to the chapel and get married. Right. And she didn't like have this big explanation no. for it. She was just like, we were drunk and I was bored. I was very bored. And that uh, was and like, like yeah, okay. the first stretch of fun she had. Because the thing is, I didn't realize even at the time how much the Brit, the Justin breakup fully devastated her. I She's know. like, I didn't leave my bed. I couldn't speak. Like, I was knocked on my ass in such a serious way. And he's broken up with her via text on the set of the Overprotected Remix video. And out gallivanting and not having a second thought about this. And he is like lifted up into this like brilliant like shining star that like everyone is like loving and oh Justin's Disgusting. perfect, Justin's perfect as Britney is like villainized right. as this like horrible person just because her art is too good and people couldn't handle it. Truly. Um, is just like insane. Like imagine feeling that. I will be, I will say I love that she loves the Dream Within a Dream tour which was like uh, basically an Oops and Britney uh, combined tour I saw her on the Onyx Hotel tour and she's like, God, I fucking hated that tour. I was like, hey, I thought it was good. She's like, it was too sexual. And by the end of it, I just prayed to hurt myself and hurt my knee. And then it's like, well, girl, you did hurt your knee. Uh, And then she hurt it real bad in the outrageous video. But it just was like interesting to hear her thoughts on her music. Because I agreed with, I'd say, 90% of them. Like when I felt really vindicated when she was shouting out in 2016 she's like I actually started feeling my fire back a little bit recording Glory I mean that was those were great was chapters when great. she talked about how great Glory was because it was like girl yes we know and Glory was excellent we have been talking about how great Glory is since the dawn of time since it was released so I was happy that she acknowledged it as well um, she did say that she was the one pushing for me against the music as the first single of In The Zone and I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not one to side with record labels, but sometimes the record label's right. But she also pushed for Toxic, so it's fine. It all worked out. Um, I'm trying to think of any other musical. Oh, she said, I made one good song during the, like, Britney Jean era, and it was Work Bitch. And I was like, yes, that's what I said. Should have been a single. (laughs) Get them. Get them. Um, Should we talk about Kevin? We can talk about Kevin. Fuck Kevin. (laughs) Listen, fuck Kevin. I do like how she does acknowledge, like, that she was very much in yes. love with him. And the moments where she realized she was in love with him, just because he would hold her in the pool. Yes. And when she talks about, she's like, I know it's regressive to say it, but sometimes I think that like what like we as women want most of all is just to have a guy hold us. Yeah. And and it's just like, I mean, well, not just women, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like to hold you and just like say it like it's gonna be okay. Yes. Um but then just that what that relationship just turned into was just and devastating. The fact that he Got his head blown up based off of truly Popo's out. You were a laughing stock, man. Like he was taking this record, his album so seriously. And I think it's great of Britney to be supportive and be there for him. Yes. But 
let's be serious. Like this, like just objectively, do you really think you're about to become, I don't know, Jay-Z at this point in your fucking life when Britney Spears is your wife? Like you don't have any history as a lyricist, as a rapper, but she is deciding to support you and you're blocking her from video sets. You're blocking your, you're blocking your, your wife, wife, the mother, the mother of, of your, your children. children from your music video sets, from even seeing you in New York, from like recording studio sex sessions. And then the moment that you get a nationwide Super Bowl ad that was making fun of you, that's when you decide you're too good to talk to Britney motherfucking Spears? Furious. And, uh, like, none of us are worthy to talk no! to Britney Spears. Like, she is better than all of us. I'm so, so, so sorry, guys. I, it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Just the and, way men have treated her mm-hmm. throughout her life really just turns my stomach. And, and you know, I she had to be, like easy with him a little bit because he is the father of her right. children and everything. Which I get. Still, Jesus fucking Christ. And then when we get into, you know, the when the narrative was come like, you know, being created that like Brittany isn't a fit mother, blah, 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 blah. And so then Kevin was literally taking the children. The chapters I can't, I where can't, she talks about how she could not see her children. How Kevin was essentially kidnapping her children and the paparazzi would follow her as she would go to Kevin's house and just like be like, I please, I just want to see my children. Right. They are my children. And the fact that the paparazzi was there taking pictures of her, hounding her in those excruciatingly devastating moments of her life. Right. It's like, of course, of course she fucking like told the Hello? photographers to fuck off. Of, of course. course she hit a car with an umbrella. Of course she hit that car with the umbrella. Fuck that car. And, and when she says, when she's like talking about it and her, she says, she's like, when I told my friend about what happened and how like I hit a car with the umbrella, the friend was just like, I can't believe that's all you did. She's like, because if those were my kids, I would burn the city down. And it's like, yes, yes. And the fact that she has to open the door and every time she is blocked, by Kevin's security that used to be her security. Oh. These are people that have made their livelihoods off of this woman's wallet. And it's like, let me see my fucking kids. And that's why we're going to get into the conservatorship in a second. But like when she said the reason I didn't fight earlier, the reason I stayed in that conservatorship was because I that I didn't want to get my kids taken away. I know the, the underlying thing with everything is just like, I had to keep like holding my tongue and like restraining yes. myself because I knew if I like did one thing a little too wrong, like my, I would not see my kids again. And it's just horrifying to me that this moment that her husband, or I guess then ex-husband has turned against her so violently, so flagrantly her mother is going Ugh. to sit there, wait for her after she goes out one night with Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, and she's like, we got drunk. Who cares? I came home when I didn't have the kids and was drunk, and my mom is screaming at me about this. And then while this is all happening, I believe Lynn calls her at some point when she's dating Adnan, dating the photographer. I think his name was removed from the book. Um, and calls her over, and everything's weird. And it's essentially because her parents and Lou Taylor have conspired together because there's so much sensationalism around Britney's an unfit mother, Britney's a bad mother, Britney can't make her own decisions, that they're like, if we get her locked in a fucking conservatorship, then what else? Then we can make all of the decisions for her. We can get all of the money. And when Britney described how her parents got back together after the conservatorship started, because essentially this is the first time in decades that her father had a job. Ugh. She's like, this is the most money he's ever made 
uh, and it's all off. It's of all me. off of her. After and, she already like funded the rest of their right. lives. And I didn't get the order of operations exactly right, but I think it's like initially she it's when it was the time to give up the kids and she just like and she couldn't let go of Jaden and went in the bathroom. Her friend said the security guy will wait in the car and instead like a whole SWAT team was there Came and, and like she, took the, the baby took the baby strapped her on a gurney the photos we've seen it's just like when you read her perspective about all of this it makes so much sense and how she uh, went to go back to when she was like out partying with Paris Hilton and everything she was just like yeah like we got a little drunk and we like I danced on a table right and and I'm and in my head because at the time I was just like oh man she's going out I and get drunk and but then, like in reading the book, it's just like I have so many friends who like have done cr- way crazier things. I thought the exact. At clubs. I literally, I have friends of friends who like I know that, especially as parents, it's like when they go out uh-huh. without their fucking kids, it's a whole moment that is much more scandalous and eventful than Britney Spears going out with Paris. And, and yeah, like Lindsay. do when if I'm there and like someone's like acting like a little like rambunctious, am I just like, it's mildly annoying? Yes. Sure. <laughs> but like mildly annoying is not is not conservatorship. Y- like my God, like she was just being a normal person. I, I it's it's just so amazing like to look at because at the time like you it was so sensationalized was. in the media, but looking back on it now seeing her as, you know, just like a normal human being, right. a regular human being who who does things, who just wants to have fun. You're just like, oh my God, like she was villainized for so much garbage. And this is the point in the book where you're like, fuck, we're not even at the conservatorship. I know. And you're like, and the thing is, I don't even know if there's that much to say about the conservatorship. It kind of sheds light and like confirms things we'd heard, like the fact that her dad, Jamie, came in and said, I'm Britney Spears now. I'm making all of your decisions. And you know what I loved about this sort of section yeah. is when she was just like, I had a bowl like in my house that had every receipt of everything I ever yes. purchased before the conservatorship. And because I, you know, I may occasionally get drunk. I may like to may make not like yeah, the most may- smart decisions, but guess what? I can do my fucking time. I'm responsible enough yes. to like do my taxes better than most people right. can. Like I am Britney Spears. I have people who can do this for me, but I still do it myself. Right. And she, and the fact that she references that bowl of receipts, that's the Ritz cracker of this, <laughs> of this book. That's the Absolutely rich cracker where, where she's like, I had a bowl of receipts. And she's like, that bowl is gone. And she's like, that bowl is gone. <laughs> that bowl is gone. Like she just wanted to be in control of her doing her own taxes. And just hearing about how her dad would speak to her about her weight all the time and have her eating chicken and vegetables for years and years on end. Oh and like that Lou Taylor minion being always hovering around. And like, it's just like she was a captive. She's like, I went to bed early. There was no fun. There was no excitement. And I just, uh, I felt nothing. And she was like, I, after uh, a show once in Vegas, I wanted to buy all my dancers dinner and, oh. my, and my credit card got declined because, because she, it went over my weekly allowance. And it's like, allowance? Do you know how much fucking money she was making those people in Vegas? It was like an unprecedented amount of money per show that she was making. And how embarrassing to be like the biggest pop star of the 2000s. Right. And you're there with your like backup dancers who look up to you so right. much. Right. And and you you can't even buy them dinner. Like <sighs> And it was it, it's 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 sickening and it's horrifying and like the whole time you're going through it, you're like, God, I just can't believe she's going through this ins- ins- 
and why, why, why? And it's all like, then my babies came over and they've slept over and like I got to bring them on the circus tour and they would nap on me. And it's mm-hmm. like, this is literally what's keeping her going oh my, for that, such a long time. The entire book was just like, all I want is to be with my kids. Right. All I want is my kids. Yes. I just want to watch my kids grow up. I want to spend time with them. I right. just want to be the mother of my children. That's the entire book, essentially. That is the the blood that is running through the veins right. of that oh, book. And it was sad when she was like, I did go to parties sometimes during this conservatorship, but whenever I went anywhere that was not my house, the people's house got completely swept by my team. There could not be alcohol anywhere. No one could have a drink until after I left. So when I was there, I would just feel so embarrassed and I could tell that the party really started after I left. Yeah. And Azalea said that when they did Pretty Girls together and she was on Watch What Happens Live, she was like, yeah, no, they they went through my house and like questions me about salad dressing and whether it had alcohol in it. Salad dressing? And it's like, okay, I don't know everything that, but if we were to believe our narrator, which I do, I'm like, sure, it seems like she has gotten drunk before. She admits to being like, the bit worst drug I did was Adderall, which like you shouldn't take recreationally, but people do it. This is not a person that needs to be forcibly put in rehab yeah. for saying no to a dance move after a second Vegas residency that she didn't want to fucking do. There are rock stars out there who are doing meth and heroin Hello? and all these hard drugs. And Britney Spears is like, I've never touched a hard drug in my life. I have no interest. Like, and it's like, she's like, but you know what? All of those people that I see doing that are men. Oh, yeah. Where are the conservatives that are male rock stars who are out of control and doing so much worse shit than I am? No, it's something that happens to women. And I'm like, that is absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, also, throughout the end of the book, it is lovely how she talks about meeting Sam. She refers to him as Hissam the whole time because that, I believe, is his full name. How they met on the slumber party video and like he's a gift from God and I love how, you know, uh, he doesn't drink and he's just so regimented always at the gym. Like He takes care of himself. Yeah, he takes like, care of himself. It's an inspiration. It's sad that they're no longer together. Maybe we'll hear about what happened in the next book. But she seemed to have nothing but glowing things to say about him. Yeah. And the... Like and just there were more things that were confirmed. Like I think there was a rumor that she went on Jonathan Ross, a UK talk show, and actually talked about the conservatorship, and that her team got all of that section cut out. She confirms that. Um, but in the the end, we're getting to the moment where she finally speaks up and speaks out. Uh, the scene where she is like when she has to give her essentially testimony. Yes. Um, and she's like, I, it was the most petrifying performance of my life right. essentially because the entire world I know would be listening to this immediately when it was over. Right. Um, and this isn't just like, oh, I'm giving a huge performance in front of a huge crowd. It's at like a concert or something. She's like, this is the performance that like will have everyone judging me, judging whether or not I can live my life as an adult, yeah. like as a woman. And I just remember her thought of like, what if they think I'm lying? And it just broke my heart. I know. That whole section where she was talking about like reading that testimony. Right. And she's which, like, I practiced it so many times. I know. Because you listen to it and it's like everything you think about Britney Spears from like her public appearances to her Instagram posts. It's like, this is a woman with all of her fucking faculties. And she's furious and deserves the right to choose her own lawyer and end this thing finally. And Matthew Rosengart is the only man worth his fucking salt <laughs> in that book. Like, what? A, he's just like, I fucking hate bullies and you should not be in this and this is wrong. And he got her out so quickly. Yeah. In something that felt like was going to last forever. And I'm that's why I'm so happy that this book is such a huge success already. Like, supposedly it sold 400,000 copies on its first day. It is already like top five most sold book on Amazon for the entire year. Like, I 
am just thrilled for her that because now it's like she's finally the one to get to reap the benefits of all of the hard work, and it's only hard work that she gets to choose to do. Like the, yeah. even this the section where she talks about recording with Elton John, she's like, sure, making new music and performing uh, again isn't like top of mind for me right now. I need to find myself spiritually. But when one of my favorite artists of all time knocked on my door and like gave me a place to to sing on his track, I could not turn him down, and it was such a beautiful little ending button that was a little joyful after such a hard fucking road. Oh yeah. <sighs> I know. It I was mean, it was a book and and I can't think of a more perfect narrator than I, Michelle. She was. killed that. She killed it. Like and the fact that like halfway through the book I realized like is this a slight southern accent? <laughs> That's that she, what I wonder. Like it was so well it was done. Amazing. And there were moments where Michelle Williams like you could tell was like getting emotional and like up, like about to start crying. Yes. Just like such and the thing is, like Michelle Williams and Britney Spears, they're like the same age. Yes, around. Yes, um, like they grew up together. They grew up famous together. So right. like you can tell that Michelle Williams had that reverence and that empathy for Britney Spears as someone who grew up as a young starlet in those early two thousands. Right. Um, like you could tell that she had Michelle Williams like full understanding. Mm. It was, it was a great performance. So shout out to Michelle Williams. Absolutely I mean, was. I mean, Michelle Williams is always, great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she's always yes. great. The woman gave us Miss Gwen Verdon. I mean, and Falsy Verdon. And she can do she's, anything. She's going to be given Grammy ne- uh, this time next year. I hope that, um, is there anything else you want to say about the Britney book? It, it was great. Like I it was agree. truly, truly great. That's, that's all you can say. And it's not terribly long. It's a quick yeah. read and it's, it's straightforward. I think it really gives a lot of context to the Britney Spears story that the media has like spelled out in all of these years. So I definitely would recommend And that. the words felt so relatable. Yes. Like it, she wasn't trying to like flower anything up no. or whatever. It felt like I was talking to a friend. Absolutely. About what was happening. Yes. Yeah. And you had such a good, clear like timeline of yeah. everything. Because even in memoirs, you kind of like jump ahead in moments and then go back a little bit to preface things. And yeah. In memoirs, so sometimes if you're not sure of the timeline, it might be a little confusing, but I was on board yes. with everything that was happening. I was, was never It was very clear never confused. where we were. What the I mean, because she's had so many moments that were landmark moments. It's like I, I know exactly right. what era of time she's talking about, yes. you know. Um it's a great book. It's a great book. It's a great book. The Woman in Me, available now. Available now. Everyone pick it up. And uh, before we take our break, I just have to say uh, rest in peace to Matthew Perry, who uh, passed away over the weekend. And it really, really hit me hard. I feel like as someone who grew up loving Friends, grew up, I had all the DVDs. I had every, you know, I watched the reunion a couple of years ago and it was just so nice seeing the six of them together again. I didn't realize it would be the last time we would see the six of them together again. He very famously has dealt with a lot of um, sobriety issues and addiction issues and was so public and so brave to tell his story and inspire people. And like that quote I keep seeing spreading around being like, I know when I die, it's going to be friends, friends, friends. But like what I'm proudest of is the fact that if someone comes up to me and says that like, I can't stop drinking, I can help them and I will help them. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what I was put on earth to do. It just, um, it just is it's really devastating and uh, you grow up with people that you feel like you know through the television and it's like I think even though obviously I did not know this person 
I think the way that it affects you when someone like that passes is mm-hmm. always legitimate. And so I don't have a lot of big things to say about it, except he brought so much joy to so many people. And, oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, like the thing with TV stars specifically that makes them a little different from movie stars is like these are the people who you invite in your house once a week. Exactly. You know, these are the people exactly. who you want to revisit. Right. You know, so that very much is like an essence that you must have as a television performer. Right. And so and he very much had that. I I've never seen Friends, but like obviously like he is such an integral part of like the pop culture surrounding Friends and of course the amazing things he did. I know he opened like a sober living house. I believe so. At some point. So like that's such an amazing legacy to live behind. So brave in him being so honest about all of the the troubles that he was having. So Absolutely. So rest in peace and you know condolences to his family and friends. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to tell people before we take a break? I don't think so. All right. We'll be back in one moment with more Two Gay Mats, the podcast. All right, guys, part two. I swear we're not going to talk about Britney. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll like, try not to. She comes up a lot. She'll definitely come up. She'll I'm come sure. up. There'll be parts of the book we'll remember and be like, oh, yeah, that part. Exactly. Uh, but Matt Palmer, give us a commercial first. Guys, thank you so much for listening or watching the podcast. If you enjoy us, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five star rating or review. It helps us so, so very much. We actually appreciate it. And we just want to make sure, as much fun as we have recording and putting this podcast out into the world, we want as many people to hear it as possible. And so if you give us a five star rating, a review it helps with the algorithm so very much so thank you thank you thank you and if you really like us go to patreon.com slash two gay mats where you can find extra bonus content just a couple of days ago i updated i uploaded our entire taylor swift 1989 uh replay of the live so if you missed that live it's up there for you yeah, you can finally hear who harper is and you can hear who harper is and i also uploaded all of our reactions to the bonus tracks like uh wonderland new romantics and you are in love that's a patreon exclusive and we have a lot of other stuff that just Discord is the best place on the internet. Just come and join us. Come and join us. We got a lot of new people. I know, yeah. All you new people. Hello, welcome. Welcome. Yes. So this is Email My Heart. This is the section of the podcast where we answer any questions that you guys might have. You can be a part of Email My Heart if you email us at twogaymats at gmail.com. Two is spelled T-W-O. So first email I'm going to read today is from Brad. Brad says, stuck on my ex. Help me move on. Oh, Hi, Matts. Loving the podcast. Thanks for doing all that you do. You bring so much enjoyment to all of your viewers, and it's clear you've built yourself a family of awesome people. I hope to be able to join the Patreon soon. Yay! I'm stuck on my ex, who has clearly moved on. He's in a pretty serious relationship, and I am already dreading the day that they get engaged slash married. Yes, our relationship is already over, but that will just be the final nail in the coffin, and I worry that I'll just be so overcome by sadness. I've tried moving on, but I always find myself comparing them to my ex, and no one compares. I feel that I'll never find anyone better, and Trust me, my friends and myself are all tired of hearing me sulk. I want to move on, I do, but I'm having a hard time doing so. I've also taken a break from dating because I feel like I'm not being fair to the people I'm casually seeing as clearly as I am not over my ex. I initially thought I... I was, so I started dating again, but it's clear to me that I am not. Any advice is much appreciated. Um, I A, think it's very wise of you. You know yourself and your situation very well to be like, you know what? I'm not in the place to date yet. I keep comparing everyone to this ex and it's not fair to these new people. So I'm proud of you for making that decision. I think that's very wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and shock to no one with what I'm going to say. You have to block this person <laughs> and delete all of their old texts to you, delete every photo in your photo album of him you and two together you have to pretend this person has died and I know Matt Steele loves to stay friends and probably be like just call him but <laughs> I, I would not say that I would not go that extreme right. but I think 
what you're feeling, the only way, at least for me, to get over that is like you have to mourn the relationship and mourn the fact that he is not in your life and keeping him close will, or any sort of, having him even show up in a feed is going to make that heartbreak a little fresher than it needs to be. Like if you really want to get to the place where you're like completely moved on, you have to start forgetting about him and social media makes it really hard to forget about anyone because they will show you, you know, all your memories or like they've popped up in this way, X, Y, Z way. And so it sounds harsh when I'm just like block them and like mute them, do whatever you need to do. But for me, that was the only way because I have been in a similar situation and that was the only way I got through it is like truly the time and the fact that you truly do begin to forget at least the details to a point where you're like, I am now open and ready to date someone else is if you don't see their face pop up on your feed every other day. You can't revisit texts. You can't look at old pictures. Throw it all away. <laughs> throw it all away. I am not in the throw it all away oh. camp. I'm very much not in that. I would say a muting is muting. something that I would do if I was in this situation. Sure. Which, you know, I have been. But like, it, it, I think maybe it'd be good to like, a mute situation sure. so like maybe not like a complete unfriending of or something sure. like that if, if, if you're not comfortable with that but like a muting at least for the time being uh, that way they don't pop up and there is always the option of you know once you feel like you have moved on you can bring them back onto your social media and you'll be fine <laughs> Matt Palmer doesn't like that. I, I because I am very much like I, I cannot cut out the memory of someone like in my life like I I'm very much like like I I to me, because to me, like forgetting stuff is very horrifying. And so, um, <laughs> Matt Palmer, like, listen, you're either in Matt Steele's camp or Matt Palmer's it's camp. True. And you know what? Both camps are right. And so, so it, it, it all depends on what you're comfortable with. Um, but I think a mute is a yes, solid choice. We can agree on mute. We can agree on a mute. That Turn way, around, everybody on mute. Everybody on mute. <laughs> Silence. That way, because a mute is reversible. Yes. In, in case you, you want that. Yes. Um, uh, maybe, uh, it, not deleting because I'm very anti-deleting any pictures of anything. Um, maybe put the pictures in like a locked area of your phone or something, <laughs> or like a locked like hard drive yeah. that you like lock away for two years. I don't know. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, yes, this is very, very hard when it comes to dating and relationships. I am always the one in your situation because some people move on better by quickly just like dating someone else and and really just like making the hard adjustment mm -hmm. of just like being like I have moved on. I am very much not that yeah. person. And that's okay. Um I am very much like I have to like sit and I need to like be calm for a bit. I it, it does take me a long time to move on. And you know, some people maybe be like you just you just have to you just have to do it. You just have to forget about them and I'm just like as years have gone on, I've started realizing, like, no, this is just how I handle things, and it is hard, but I have to have faith that, like, I will move on, and I have very much have faith that you will move on, because yeah. every, you will move on. Like, yeah. it, it just is inevitable that it will happen, so if you have faith that that will happen, then then I think you will be okay. Absolutely. And I think I do take solace in, because sometimes I'm like, ugh, like is how I handle these type of things. Is it healthy and everything? Who knows? But uh, I do take solace in the fact that it's just kind of like, you know, I, I am proud of the, who I am and the fact that even though a breakup did happen, uh, I still have the capacity like for love for this person in my heart. You know, <laughs> like I, I think that I think not to brag about myself, but like no. I think I think that's a nice testament to someone, even if it's not like, 
the easiest situation to get over. I think that's a nice testament to someone that they do still have that capacity to love as opposed to just being like, Fuck you, goodbye. I mean, it's you know? not. It, the thing is, it's not even a fuck you. It's a goodbye. <laughs> I sure. don't. I think you should deal with it however you want to. Um, I certainly am not thinking everyone should be. You know, the way you get over someone is get under someone else. I don't think that's a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you would like to spend your time sending love to people that you're no longer in a relationship with, I think that's great. <laughs> I don't think it's a value judgment, but I think if you should do what you want to do. But if the goal is move on, you just have to see the person's face pop up and like memories of them be shown to you less often and it's like I don't know like I I, I would suggest maybe jumping into other activities yeah, even if the totally. activities aren't dating if I you feel like that. you're not ready to date other activities like I don't know whatever hobbies you have like yeah. lean into them more try like if you do, are a part of like organizations yeah. you volunteer you do like the like the sports league or whatever like mm. a, you Matt Palmer did the gay sports league yes, I did. Um, and everything where he made a lot of friends he was able to like focus on something else and you will just know that like with time it will be okay get that mute going though <laughs> <laughs> speed up the time everybody on mute let's Hello. go okay so the next email comes to us from Amy Uh, Amy says the writing process hi Matt thanks for making Sunday suck a little less your podcast is the only thing I tolerate reason I tolerate Sunday (laughs) my question is for both of you surrounding the writing process for your film devos and your upcoming album Matt Palmer Matt Palmer how do you write an album do you go in knowing okay I want this album to be about heartbreak or do you just uh, start writing songs and then compile a list of songs that fit a theme how do you know when you're done Matt Steele how do you write a script did you go in knowing the ending or does it just come to you throughout the writing process was there ever a time where devos was going to go in an entirely different direction or have a different ending i hope my questions are interesting but i'm really curious about your creative processes sure well for me i can say at least for the last uh two albums i've put out and the third one that i'm working on i have gone in knowing like okay for get lost i was like oh, i want to tell a story i want to tell a story of a relationship from beginning to end i wanted to have a visual component so I would write a bunch of songs knowing that like, oh, maybe this could fit in this level of the story. So it's like a little bit conceptual at the beginning. And with the good parts, I was coming out of a uh, one relationship and starting another. And so it was just like really getting all those emotions out. And then once the songs were there and I knew which ones I liked and wanted to make an album with, I just kind of sequenced them and made them make sense. But it was very much like I had a lot to say. (laughs) There was a lot of change happening uh, in between those two albums. And for the new one, it's kind of more of a collaborative effort with uh, Production MC Future. And so I generally start writing songs completely by myself and request that I request hire a producer to produce them and polish them up. But this, basically, he sends me tracks and I do the top writing atop it. And so it's less about like... um, it's, it's less about like me building the entire world myself and me like being like, oh, this is the world I've been given and like, how can I fit in? How can I make this interesting? And when I started the record, I was like, oh, it could be just like a fun, dancier, less emotional thing. But then, of course, you get to writing. <laughs> <laughs> you start the, to feel the things. You start to feel the things and the emotions kind of come out. That person so. who you put on mute is not necessarily <laughs> muted in your brain. You have things to say. Okay. And so then, basically, I, I it's been nice these last several times. I don't feel like I'm working with a completely blank slate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of playing inside a world that has some sort of you know that's uh, less daunting it. it is less daunting when yeah. it's just like blank canvas where do you go it's like at some point I'll be there again and I'll figure it out but it's that's like the most daunting part of the creative process for well me. and that's kind of nice because like each of the like your like most recent three albums like yeah. ha- had a different sort of process totally so it's like they each mean something different they to do you. yeah I don't know like with um with writing a script like I sort of 
it changes. I usually come up with like a concept first and then I dwell on it for about a year and a half. Of course. And sometimes for the script that I'm writing now that I'm trying to get produced now, like I just wrote an opening sequence and I had that and I like, it's like a 14 page opening sequence and I literally just spent a year writing that opening sequence (laughs) and I just like perfected it and perfected it and perfected it and perfected it and everything. And then I'm like, okay, I need this to go somewhere. Cause it's like in perfecting that one chunk for so long, um, I'm able to like establish, okay, who are these characters? What is the tone of the entire thing? Like, what is the pacing? Like, how does this movie feel? And so then I find that like, once I've sort of perfected that in one scene, I'm able to more easily like go into everything else. Mm. Um, with Devos, it was very interesting because I originally wrote the first version of the script in 2011. And uh, I it originally was just about like boys in their high school musical. And it was just like a big ensemble piece and not much really happened, but it was just like a whole bunch of like funny moments. There was a like light plot, but like the stakes weren't super huge right. really it was just like oh these boys are like in their school play and like the goofy shenanigans that like they come up with and everything and there was just the one character of Ricky Redmond that it sort of like followed um, and then so I remember like showing it to my brother and he was just like Matthew it's so funny but like nothing happens and I was like yeah oh, you're right so I put it down for a long period of time for like two years and then I was like how do I give this some sort of semblance of a plot so I can't so the main character like my character is very much an unlikable protagonist. Like he's an antagonistic <laughs> protagonist. So anti-hero. I was like, an anti-hero, some might say. Some would say. Um, and so how do I give him an antagonist who's like just as bad, if not like occasionally worse? <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so that's when I like sort of like revamped the script and it became about like a single person battling another single person. So it gave it more of like an arc. Yes. Um, and, and so sometimes, and I got a lot of inspiration from the movie, from the movie all about Eve. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is kind of like all about Eve where there's the one like seasoned aged actress who now all of a sudden there's this new, like aspiring actress who is like suddenly her rival. Uh, and so I was very inspired by that. And once you're sometimes when you're inspired by one thing, it really just like opens everything for you. Totally. Um, and you're able to completely like change it up and create this like whole thing very easily. Even if it, if you're inspired by something, it doesn't necessarily mean you follow it exactly, but like it really just like the floodgates open and, and you're, you're just able to really like know like, okay, this is how it ends. This is how the entire thing goes. Devo's available now. Devo's available now. The good part's available now. Yes. And whatever your next album is available someday, 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 someday. (laughs) All right. The next question comes to us from Jacob. Jacob says, are we out of the woods yet? Oh, great question. Uh, Hi, Matt. I'm getting really excited for 1989 Taylor's version. I know by the time you read this, it will already be out, but I'm sending this the Wednesday before. I've been listening to my favorite songs from 1989 in anticipation and just rediscovered my absolute love for out of the woods. I also love her story about how she wrote it. Jack Antonoff sent her the backing track, and after just one listen, she could hear the completed song, lyrics, and melody in her head. Galaxy brained queen. And it's basically Matt Palmer. That's how I'm doing the things. Whole al- the whole next album by Matt Palmer is going to be nothing but Out of the Woods. <laughs> uh, I know you both are Out of the Woods stands as well, so I have a few questions about it that I'd love to get your takes on. What, are your, what were your initial reactions to the song when you heard it for the very first time? Two, what would you rank its bridge among all her bridges? I don't know if I'd say it's her absolute best bridge, but I do think it's my personal favorite. Mm. Matt Palmer, as a songwriter yourself, uh, how would you say she managed to pull off such a repetitive chorus? And four, lastly, have you seen her acoustic piano performance that she did in, at the Grammy Museum in 2015? I love that acoustic performance of the song, and I wish there was a streamable 
version of it. Apologies for the long email, but excited to hear your answers. First time I heard it, I thought it was absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Steele can attest. He I mentioned attest- it in the live stream. I played it over and over and over. I think I even began a cover that I never finished. But uh, it is just a masterstroke of a song, like two genius pop artists coming together to make something so incredible. Um, I am not in the uh, Taylor Swift world enough to really rank her bridges individually, but the bridge is great. <laughs> I would say the bridge is among her best. Yes, I would say right. I would say it's I would say it's in the top ten of her bridges. I, I believe maybe that. top five. I think what makes the repetitive chorus work so well is because. The phrase "Are we out of the woods yet?" already feels like it has an intensity and has mm-hmm. like a, a nervousness to it, and the build of the harmonies as it goes on, the build of the vocal arrangement as it goes on, the build of the production underneath it—it's so driving. I think it never feels like the same thing over and over to me. It mm-hmm. feels like layers are getting added on top of it. Like there are just new backgrounds coming on that chorus through the entire song. So it always feels like it's we're building to it it's not like it's never quite there and the thing is that i say many times about like great pop songs there need to be stakes and just like first the phrase are we out of the woods yet there are stakes to that phrase and then just like how like intense the production is and intense the vocals are it just you feel the stakes in the song which is why the repetitive nature of out of the woods is a better song than like Welcome to New York, <laughs> you know, because in Welcome to New York, it's like, oh, yeah, this is cute. But like, are there stakes to no. the song? No, it's no. it's cute and it's boppy and everything. It's pleasant. But out of the woods, it's like you feel the emotional heft. So yes. th- it can have that very simple, repetitive nature for sure, because the stakes are there. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, exactly. And I, you, ha- I have not seen that. Actually, maybe I have seen I've that seen it. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, I've seen it. Maybe, and maybe it, when it first came out, it holds up. Shocked to know because one, out of the woods is great. You could literally like play the song on a like a uh, accordion, and I would just be like, "Oh, the stakes!" Absolutely, <laughs> like, come on, let's get real. It's true. Okay, all right, all right. Do we have? Uh, uh, we both have uh, uh, two gay minutes. Yes, I think we do. All right, mine is going to be an overall Bravo. I have three three shows I'd like to discuss. Okay, in two minutes. <laughs> I love how like you just have a list have a list. Of, list of five things, yes. and I have a full written out damn script. Yes. How does he do it, ladies and it's gentlemen? Magic. It's magic. All right, Matt ready. Palmer, are you and ready? Two gay minutes is the time where each of us speaks for two minutes about a subject the other one doesn't care about because we have a lot of feelings we need to get them out. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Matt Palmer's two minutes. Yes. Start. Now. All right. People are talking a lot of shit. Roni is ending and the reunions are airing. One aired last Sunday and one is airing tonight. And to me, honestly, as much as I found the end of the season of Roni kind of really boring, I think the reunion's great. People think that the reunion is boring, but to me, it feels like a group therapy session. And you know, there's nothing more I like watching on television than therapy. It also is funny because everybody's in there trying to like resolve issues while Uba on the end of the couch is jumping up being like, well, you know, none of you guys wanted Jenna Lyons on the cast. Let's talk about that. And it's just like, it's so, I realize she's trying to drop these bombs and put people on the spot, but it doesn't really work. But it's also like the chaos of that is also a plus. I just I just think the reunion is working for me in a way that it's not working for a lot of people. And we need to give some justice for their reunion performance. And I'm hopeful that they get another season with a lot of the cast recurring. Um, Houses of Beverly Hills has begun and the season is off to a crazy fucking start. Garcelle had a great scene with her children talking to them. And the kids are like, 
we, we kind of are feeling more grown up now and you've been split working One in uh, all of the different areas and like going working on these television shows and we felt like you needed to be there and be a mom to us at times and now we don't need you as much. It was heartbreaking but beautiful. Erica is walking in with her tail between her legs because Lisa Rinna has been fired and Dorit is weirdly the best one on the show at the moment and Dorit's been doing nothing for years. So I'm proud of her. Also Dorit and Kyle are setting up for their divorces from scene one, episode one and it's wild. Lastly, I just have to say Southern Charm this season is very, very good and I wanted to say the thing that makes it great is Madison. I have been saying since Madison's popped on the screen and she says the craziest shit like she looked at this girl a few seasons ago and said, is it true that he gave you chlamydia? She's saying craziest shit in the world while being like mom of the year. Her Her son came in sad crying because some kid bit him and she like was so open hearted she's like we as mothers feel things 10 times more than our kids do and blah 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 and then at the final scene here she's talking about Taylor this bible thumper who thinks she's better than everyone else and she's like you sent Whitney a nude let's talk about that I saw your tits and vagina they centered the show around Madison and they should have done it for years ago and I'm so glad Madison's the star because she's been a star since she walked on that set all right, guys, All right. She saw her tits and her vagina. Um, did he have chlamydia or her? Who? I no one admitted that. All right. I trust guys, Madison. Chlamydia out there. It's out uh, right. there. And you know, we don't, STI shame. Everyone be safe and go to the doctor. Oh, please be we safe. We want everyone to be safe. But Madison just knows how to make a good TV show. And I'm glad they're finally centering the show around her. All right. All right. Congratulations, Madison. Yes. All right, guys. Are you ready? Matt Steele. I'm ready for my two gay minutes. Big brother related. Shock. Of, of course. <laughs> All right. Three. Two, one. Thursday was the single worst double eviction episode in the show's history. First, they told Blue before the show that she was the target, so we couldn't even get a good fucking blindside. And of course, Blue wasn't even upset. She acted like she knew it all along. She walked out of that house spouting her catchphrases, kitty kitty pair of boots down. Girl, Julie, you know that they had to get rid of me because my game was so good. Girl, no, it fucking wasn't. Kitty kitty boots down. Goodbye. Jared in the diary room all but tattooed it to your body to hint to you that Sari was Jared's mom, and you couldn't even catch that hint. The next head of household competition is, of course, another freaking look at these pictures and memorize them challenge. In a tie-breaking question, fucking Bowie Jane, queen of the whiteboard, guesses an appropriate amount of seconds and wins head of household. We all know we're fucked. Fucking Bowie Jane goes, oh, this is horrifying, and then puts up America and Felicia. Girl, you can't say you're horrified to put up the least two least threatening players. It's an objectively <laughs> atrocious move to keep protecting competition beasts, Matt and Jag, but honestly, I get it, because Sari and Felicia isolated fucky Bowie J- fucking Bowie Jane for the first several weeks of the season, so of course she's going to be loyal to Matt and Jag, who are actually including her. Mm. The veto competition was a lot of running, and you had to drop four balls down a tube, and it's so unfair, not just because of the One extreme minute. physical element, but because the holes through which they had to stick their hands to drop the balls weren't adjusted to height. So because Matt arms are longer, he had an easier time reaching the tubes. Felicia had pretty good aim and got some balls in it, but because of the running up and down the stairs, she was only able to get three shots in in the time it took Matt to get seven shots. <laughs> Matt won, kept the noms the same. America was evicted and showed genuine emotion and frustration because she actually cared about being there, unlike Blue. Of course, Matt won the next head of household, which he shouldn't, which he should have thrown because he has an alliance with everyone. He puts up Felicia and Suri and tell Suri she's safe because they've been a strong secret duo all season but Jag and fucking Bowie Jane are like ooh sorry Matt we're gonna vote out Suri so Suri is gonna be pissed at Matt when she is evicted Thursday one exciting development Jag knows he has a hard time beating Matt in final jury votes so he's likely going to betray Matt and take fucking Bowie Jane to the final two Mm. so yeah anyway Suri is probably leaving but that would probably make her happy because she is over it and honestly so are we (laughs) All right, you did it I did it um I guess the question for me is like, because I, I pop into the competitive reality TV channel on the Discord, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash two game ads every once in a while, and everyone's just like, R.I.P. This, R. Show's, I. this show's done. And it look, sucks. And guys, it is very, very normal for like once we're down to like the top six, top five of mm. Big Brother for the show to slow down. Yeah. But like, the it has plummeted. Really? It, is plum- it has plummeted. And th- 
the reason why it's so frustrating is because of the competitions and how unfair it is. Mm. Like Jag is probably going to win, which is just like crazy because like he, he was already evicted and also like (laughs) his, his strategic game is objectively horrible. (laughs) But the fact that he's just now winning everything. And and it's, it's also very frustrating because it's like, well, why didn't they get out the competition threats sooner? And it's like, they actually did three out of the four people who would be considered competition threats, just act, came back in the house because of a twist. I think they so stop like, with these twists that like bring I mean, people back who've been evicted. I mean, I don't mind twists. It's just the competitions are just like unfair in amounts. They're they're all too physical now, mm. and they're all boring. <laughs> like and so it's it's really rough. And like, sorry, one more statistic. Though. Okay, and then the two game minutes will be <laughs> done. Nine game minutes. <laughs> I, I was listening to the, the podcast. I listened to Taron Armstrong's like live recap of every day, and he was essentially saying that like in the past six seasons. Jag will be the fourth person to like once final nine started to just like completely be immune for every single mm. round uh, just because of like competition wins. Wow. They're just like comping their way through the end. Ooh. And it's just like the fact that this is a, re- a, a repeated thing that happens over and over again in the last six seasons alone like shows that. There is a problem. A problem. I imagine next season they will redo some of the competitions because like, so. they, they, a lot of the fans are just like really frustrated. Mm. But it's fine. What are you going to do? Right. All right. Well, I think I'm ready for my give me moment. Oh, you want to go first? Yeah, I do. All right. Go mm. for it. All right. So, guys, I just have two things I wanted to discuss today. Firstly, I kind of mentioned it during the Matthew Perry section, but I have been rewatching Will and Grace, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. And I also, in turn, since I am just in loving the show so much and it's perfect timing because uh, Sean Hayes, who's a part of the Smartless Trio, has a new podcast with Eric McCormick called Just Jack and Will. It's like a Will and Grace rewatch podcast and they start from season one, episode one. And I think they're going to go through even all of the reboot episodes. And it's just... Fun to listen to them talk every week and to see their interactions. Like, they're obviously much older now and, like, very wise and, like, we're very much actors. Like, Eric is a straight man. and But it's still, even it though every week is very much like, well, yeah, I wouldn't say that again if I was on stage today. And, like, they kind of say the same things. And they talk about, like, oh, these movies were number one at this time and these were the number one songs. And, by the way, two of you, if you're out there listening, Eric or Sean, I can play you Monica the first night. It's a great song. And the the fact that neither of you remember it is kind of upsetting to me. It was her follow-up after The Boy Is Mine. And, like, The First Night is an excellent number one single that we all should be talking about more often. But I love how you're using your giving you moments <laughs> to shame Aaron Not Eric shame. McCormick. I just want, I, if they were on the show, I'd literally just sit there and play them The First Night. Because it's been number one for weeks. And they're like, I still don't know the song. And it's like, guys, listen to it. It's excellent. But whatever. Uh, the, the, but they're, the podcast is just so heartwarming and they get great guests. They just had Deborah Messing on, obviously. And I obviously have been listening so closely to be like, and they sort of feud discussion, but no one's really <laughs> saying it. But it's also just funny to see how the show has evolved because initially, like, you don't, I didn't realize that Jack and Karen, until I did my rewatch, that Jack and Karen initially didn't even know each other and they meet on the show. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, in early do. episodes, it's like, oh, wow, they're finally like, building this relationship. And uh, they're talking about how Jack and Karen were kind of thought of as, like, the bizarro Will and Grace. And, uh, you know, it was just funny to James Burroughs or Jimmy Burroughs, whatever you like to call him. Uh, I didn't realize he directed every fucking episode. 
episode of that show. And I feel like that's very uncommon for TV shows yeah. for like to have the same director throughout. So it just is cool seeing all of these people who've put together a show that impacted my life in such a way that I almost forgot. Like I watched so much Will and Grace growing up like on reruns and like it informed like how I thought one was to behave as a gay person in the 90s and you know through the 2000s and it just is so nice to revisit with old friends that you knew through your television. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, the Golden Bachelor is so fucking good. It is better than it has any right to be. The ba- I stopped watching The Bachelor years ago and I felt a freedom that I can't even speak to. But The Golden Bachelor, which is the Bachelor version that's basically for people of a certain age, like The Bachelor is 72 and a lot of his contestants are between 60 and 75, I think the oldest lady is. And they have cut the show down to an hour. It's only once a week. It seems like it's going to be a 10 episode season. It's as long as The Bachelor should be. Like the fact that they floated The Bachelor to be like, it's two hours and maybe twice a week. Like mark your DVRs. It's like, it's too, it's like Big Brother, no shit. <laughs> it's just too much during a week. And The Golden Bachelor is just like little nuggets. And these are people who have real emotions, real shit has happened to them. Because they've had real lives. All of them have had real lives. Like, and the the Golden Bachelor, I don't know where they fucking found him, but they have not had a male lead this compelling and so in touch with his emotions in like a genuine way. Like he's so quick to cry. He's like so wanting to protect all of these women and so appreciative for them for even being there. And it just is like the fact that you found a genuine person. You have not found a genuine person on the Bachelor franchise in a decade. And you found this man and all of the female cast is just as beautiful. It's just seeing people who've been through real shit find love after they've been like, I haven't been on dates in a decade. Like my husband and or my wife died X number of years ago. And I just think I would like to spend the rest of my life with someone. Like those are stakes. Like I want to launch my Bachelor theme podcast after running on my Instagram numbers are not stakes. Nope. Like this is the real shit I want to see. And I'm so glad that the Golden Bachelor's ratings are out of, are through the roof because I need a Golden Bachelorette. I would vote for Ellen for Golden Bachelorette. No, no spoilers, but she just got kicked off and I couldn't fucking believe it. Like Ellen's such a queen. Um, So we need a Golden Bachelorette and I need it to be on. And I also don't want you to extend it. Don't make it multiple hours. Don't make it more episodes. But and also just shorten the Bachelor because this is the Golden Bachelor is working in a way that this franchise has not worked in years, and mm-hmm. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, and I think like I, okay, I'm, I don't watch it, but like, <laughs> but like I think that sort of idea of like the Golden Bachelor having older people, more seasoned people, wiser people, more yes. interesting people, yes. harkens back to what reality TV is and was, and is at the Absolutely. roots of reality TV, and that is putting interesting people on television for us to watch because now reality television has basically become let's put a bunch of like 20 year olds on who like have no experience with life who are just like hot because they they think that like oh people want to watch hot people and it's like guys we really fucking don't because they're boring like they're boring like Big Brother like started declining when they started just putting like hot young people on who just want Instagram followers and what happens when they put like when the cast gets older the show gets more interesting. This season we have Felicia, who's the most entertaining like <laughs> player in right. that we've had in seasons, who is 63 years right. old, and she is interesting and fun and fucking hilarious because she has lived a fucking life. It feels like until we figure out how to get re- young reality people who are not scared to look bad because mm-hmm. of Instagram numbers, we just have to go 50 plus. Like yes. we, this is the way because it's like they don't give a fuck about their Instagram numbers. They don't care. They they're going to be who they are on screen, and we would I would just love to 
to see genuine, legitimate people on my television. So thank you, Golden Bachelor. It's um, and they they don't care how they look. No, they they are just themselves, and they're just like I'm unapologetic about it, and right. not in like a forced way, like a ooh, I'm like the bad girl, and I'm just gonna say this just to cause a fight. It's just like there's like no, this is right. my opinion of on on stuff, and it's not even like, like I feel like there's one feud on the Golden Bachelor where like two of the girls weren't getting along for X reason, but most of them really support each other, and it's like I didn't even need there to be as I say this as a housewives watcher, lol. But I don't need there to be fights. Mm-hmm. I need there to be stakes. Yes, much like great pop songs, like I need people who are really trying to get something are here for a reason that is legitimate and not shallow and not vapid. And that is what the Golden Bachelor gives. Watch the show, guys. It's very good. I love that. All right. All right. Matt Steele. Well, guys, a reason why I didn't do much this week except for listen to Britney Spears' book was because I was very busy for three and a half hours on Wednesday watching cinema. Oh. Because uh, on Wednesday, uh, my friend Rohita and I went to the Grove and we saw Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. How did you like that? Famously, three hours and 26 minutes. Some would say too long. I didn't have to pee once. I was so proud of myself. Did I drink an ounce of water? Nope. You ran here tonight straight to the bathroom. Oh my God, I had to pee so bad and I was like knocking on the door like, let me in. (laughs) Um, Guys, it's great. I mean, okay. it, the story it's is so interesting, and it's like a part of American history that like I never knew about. Mm. Like, amazingly, I can't believe more people aren't talking about this. So basically, the premise is there will be some spoilers ish. Um, so essentially, back in the like early early 1900s, the Osage people um, in you know, Oklahoma they you know, the, they had this land that was theirs, and they found out that like there was so much oil on this land, mm. and so because of that oil. They all became fucking rich as hell. Oh, the damn. Osage people um, in America, like at this time, were considered the uh, richest group of people per capita in the entire world. Wow! Like, all of them were very, very rich because like this land was theirs, mm. and it had it was like a gold mine, and everything. Right. And so, um, the movie is essentially it. Fo- it follows like the the white Americans who like started living on the land and like infiltrating in their community this mm-hmm. very like thriving community and in this community the Osage people were at the top okay um like they ran you know everything um and so so like that is is very interesting and everything like how that dynamic works and uh then it start all of a sudden there are these like murders that start happening uh, like the, these people just like start like dying under the suspicious Osage people the are? Osage people oh. start dying under these suspicious circumstances okay. uh, and you essentially find out that um, these people are essentially getting killed for their money like people are marrying the women and then like killing their wives so that they inherit all of this money and it really closely follows um uh, this one character played by Lily Gladstone mm. who has these four sisters. They're very, very wealthy. Uh, and just one by one in the movie, like all of her sisters are killed in like the most tragic, horrible oh circumstances. Um, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays a man who, who genuinely like does fall in love with his wife. Mm. Um, and it's very, very believable. And their chemistry is really, really great, especially in the beginning of the movie when they're like flirting with each other. Um, but he is a family member of like Robert De Niro, who's sort of like really like running this town as well. He does like a lot of philanthropic stuff for mm. the town. So like all the Osage people love Robert De Niro's character and they don't realize that Robert De Niro is essentially like running this sort of like ring mm. of like his family members, like like systematically like killing these women. Oh my God. Um, and so it follows like Leonardo DiCaprio's character as he 
essentially like falls in love with his wife, but also knows like that he has to like kill her at some point oh my so that God. he can get this money for the family, for the Robert De Niro family and everything. It's, it's so, so well done. The performances are excellent. Obviously Leo, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone is so fucking excellent. What an amazing, amazing, I can't say it's a debut because she's done, you know, movies before and everything, mm. but this is really like what is making her a household name. She mm. is excellent. Um, I, I really recommend like everyone check it out. It, it, it is, you know, a moment. <laughs> it, yes, is, it is quite today. long, but like the story is so interesting. I was invested the whole time. Beautifully shot, especially mm. like there's a shot near the beginning where it's like, you know, the oil's coming out of the ground and like they are like dancing in the oil. That is so fucking good. The score of this movie is so fucking cool because it has that like classic Martin Scorsese sort of like gangster vibe. Mm. Um, and the movie as a whole, like it, you know, Martin Scorsese is known for making a lot of like movies about mobsters and everything everything and this is sort of like a different type of mobster they're not mobsters but like it's, it's a different type okay. it's the same sort of like sentiment but so it has that like classic music that martin scorsese is known for that sort of like slightly rock edge but with like native american like inspiration added to it so the score is so fucking good i i really loved it all I'm, right, check it out, guys. Support your local movie theater. It's it's the highest grossing Martin Scorsese movie in several wow. years. Movies are doing well, guys. All right, movies. Like, movies Thanks, Taylor. Like Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor Swift. She did it. Saved cinema. She did it. I appreciate I it. I movies were on the up before <laughs> Taylor Swift airs was a movie theater. You know. You know. Uh, well, great. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to tell the people today? I don't think so. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Two Gay Mats. And we'll be back next week with more Two Gay Mats, the podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.